Matthew 25, the passage that was um, just read to us. Um, Matthew 25, it's on page 1001. Um, If you've also got one of these uh, service sheets that you were handed on the way in, this has the sort of main points of of what we're going to be looking at today. Um, That might be helpful. This one's the important one, but that one might be helpful as well. But before we start, let me pray. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that your words are sure, reliable and eternal. Please help us to be attentive and soft-hearted and obedient to what we hear of you today. Amen. Which side... Which side are you on? Which side are you on? That's a question um, that can make you feel, I don't know, maybe excited uh, or maybe slightly uncomfortable. It's a, it's a question that can either make you feel slightly awkward or, or, or very excited. That truth was sort of brought home to me uh, when I went to see Manchester United play against Chelsea a few years ago in the FA Cup final. It was a very exciting moment for me. I'm a Manchester United supporter. I don't know how well that goes down. But I'm a Manchester United supporter. And I'd never had a chance to actually see them live, actually see them in the flesh. And this was my chance to actually go see them play. And it was really exciting, right up until the point when I took my seat and realised it was surrounded by Chelsea fans. Okay, it was pretty uncomfortable and it got even more uncomfortable as five minutes from time Chelsea scored the winning goal and the guy next to me who knew I was a United supporter sort of cheered at me in my face like that. Uh, it was brilliant for him, you know, as Chelsea lifted the cup and they won. It was brilliant for Chelsea and the Chelsea fans. It was really uncomfortable for me. Went home slightly disappointed, slightly dejected. Which side are you on? That's a important question and it's a question that our Bible passage that Matthew 25 that Jesus asks us tonight and the stakes here the issue is far more important than a football match Uh, you'll probably remember over the past few weeks been looking at these chapters of Matthew's Gospel as Jesus looks ahead to the time when he'll return that moment when he'll bring all of human history to a close And uh, over the past few chapters, Jesus has been urging his disciples, has been urging us, saying, realise that I'm coming back and make sure you're ready. Be ready. Be ready. And now, at the end of chapter 25, he reaches the end of this particular sermon, uh, this particular of his sermons. And he makes it very clear and very stark. And he wants us to know very simply that one day he will return that he will judge and he will judge everyone according to how they've treated him. That Jesus will return and that one day he will judge everyone according to how they've treated him. And with that reality, as he confronts us with that future, he confronts us with the question, which side are you on? Jesus will return. He will judge everyone and judge them according to how they've treated him. We see that truth unfold over the course of the uh, chapter. In the first few verses, it's, it's shown that reality that Jesus 
will judge, that Jesus will judge. Have a look uh, again with me at verses 31 to 35, that Jesus will judge. Uh, Let me read 31 and uh, the, the next few verses after that. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. These verses confront us with the reality that Jesus will judge. And as they show us that moment of Jesus judging, it shows us the certainty of Jesus' judgment and the authority that he has to judge. So I wonder if you notice how Jesus wants us to know just how certain it's going to be that he will judge. So the very first word, have a look at it again, verse 31. When, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. There's no ifs, there's no maybe, no perhaps, there's no sort of alternative ending. When the Son of Man will come, Jesus will judge, it's certain. And if you've been here over the past few weeks, I wonder if you've noticed that actually here in this chapter, this um, part of, the, of Jesus' sermon, he's actually now stopped talking in stories. So the past few chapters, he's compared it to being um, like um, the, the, the parable of people waiting outside a wedding banquet or parable of um, uh, some servants being left by a master. But here, Jesus stops talking in stories. So he, he compares what will happen to, in verse 32, to what a sheep and a, uh, does, uh, what a shepherd does, verse 32 to 33. But that's only really just a comparison. And it's only really just in those verses. See, for, for the rest of this, Jesus isn't saying this is a story. He's saying this is the reality. This is a certainty. It's as if Jesus is desperate as he comes to the end of this sermon for us to be crystal clear. He will judge. It is certain. And I wonder how you feel about that. I wonder how we feel about the idea of Jesus' judgment. It's easy, isn't it, to be maybe feel slightly uncomfortable with it. I mean, we're sophisticated people. We're we're people who aren't used to thinking about judgment. And maybe we think that if we talk like that, well, our friends at work, or our friends at university, they might think we're a little bit eccentric, a little bit strange. might seem a little bit of an odd thing. But we need to realise that it is a certainty, that it is a reality. And actually, it's the only thing that makes sense of the life we're living now. You see, if if there's going to be any ultimate difference between good and evil, there's going to be any difference between right and wrong, well, one day there must be a judgment. One day, right must be shown to be right, and wrong must be punished for what it is. Uh, I I watched a film recently um, called The Last King of Scotland. It's kind of a small film. I don't know if you've come across it. Not a very nice film, I have to say. Not not one for date nights or whatever. Um, It's about Idi Amin, who was the dictator of Uganda uh, in the 1970s. And the film sort of charted his spiral into brutality and violence. And amidst, amidst all the sort of rather upsetting scenes in it, one of the most tragic moments was after the film had finished... And it froze on his face. And it had a little bit about what happened to him afterwards. And that bit said that after he left power, he lived out the rest of his life in luxury in Saudi Arabia. That's tragic, isn't it? That is tragic. That such evil would go unpunished. 
Now that film wasn't made by Christians, but it couldn't help but express the longing for justice to be done, for, for evil to be punished. It's a longing that, that we know, that our friends know, and it's a longing that only Christians, that only Christians can make sense of. Jesus will judge, and that's a certainty. But I wonder if you also noticed about that certain judgment as we think about, as we look at Jesus, that judge. I wonder if you noticed the majesty of his authority as he judges. So have a look again at those, at those verses. Uh, just that uh, first verse even. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. It's a pretty awesome scene, isn't it? You've got the angels, you've got the glory, you've got the throne, and it's quite impressive. But if it's impressive for us here today as we listen to it, well, the people who um, were listening to Jesus for the first time, it would have absolutely knocked their socks off. I mean, they would have been stunned. Because what Jesus is doing is he's ransacking the Old Testament. He's ransacking the Old Testament for images that sort of sum up his divine authority and his divine glory. So over the past um, few weeks, you've probably heard time and again that phrase, Son of Man. That figure from Daniel 7, who was given all authority by God to rule and to judge. And then there's the description of the angels and the nations being gathered in judgment. We heard a little bit about that in the reading from Joel, and it's also mentioned in Zechariah and other parts of the Old Testament. These language that's used to describe God... Judging the world. Well, the language that the Old Testament uses to describe God, Jesus takes and uses to describe himself. Jesus judges with divine authority. Jesus will judge. He will judge with that majestic divine authority. And before we move on, I think it's important for us just to pause and think, Does my picture of Jesus match up to this? Does it match up to the majesty of this scene, of Jesus' awesome divine authority? I don't know whether maybe we're tempted, I don't know, maybe we're here, and we actually don't want Jesus involved in our lives at all. For whatever reason, we keep him out of arm's length. It's great for other people, just not for me. Or maybe we don't go that far. Maybe we're really happy hearing about the Lord Jesus on a Sunday, chatting to Christian friends at the cell group or whatever it might be, but for the rest of the week, or with the other people we know, or with our family, whoever it might be, well, we think Jesus is for over there and for them, but not over here and with them. Or we we chop other people up and Jesus is okay for those people. I can't expect Jesus to be interested in those people. Well, this scene of Jesus on that throne, on that last day, as Jesus judges that should completely blow apart our little pictures of Jesus. Jesus will judge. It is a certainty. And he has divine authority. And knowing about that, and having that picture of Jesus, well, that should make a difference to each part of our lives. Jesus will judge. It's it's certainty. And he'll judge with divine authority. But these verses... They unfold. We, we, we also see not just the judge, but who's judged. We, it's sort of like a courtroom drama. Having shown us uh, the judge, it then pans across 
and we look into the dock and who do we see? We see us. And not just us. We see everyone. As the verses go on, we see that Jesus will judge everyone. Have a look again. Let's just stay in the, uh, those first few verses for a moment longer. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. All the nations are there. All people are there. Jesus will judge everyone. As we look at the scene, we see that everyone will be involved. All those differences of background and age and culture and race, all of those things will be dissolved. And a simple division will be made. All those differences will be uh, dissolved and a simple separation will take place. Jesus compares what he does um, in those verses, in verse 32, that separation, to what a shepherd did in the Middle East in those days. Um, I don't know what sheep look like here, but apparently in the uh, Middle East, uh, sheep look a lot like goats. And um, uh, during the day, the sheep and the goats, they sort of mingle together, they eat together, chat, hang out and that sort of thing. But when at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, the shepherd would come and just do a very simple but very important task, just separating them out uh, so that the valuable sheep who were valuable and precious and a bit vulnerable would be, would be kept in the pen and the goats sort of left on the hillside. Jesus describes the judgment on that last day as being something similar. Uh, Whatever similarities there may have seemed to be, whatever differences there may have seemed to be, one separation will take place. One separation, the only separation that matters, because it's the only separation that's eternal. The sheep on the right, the goats on the left. And that should make a massive difference to how we see those how, how we see the people around us. There's only one difference that matters because there's only one difference that is eternal. We're so quick, aren't we, to chop people up, to break people up into uh, what education they've had or what job they might have or what background or future or whatever it might be. But there's only one difference that matters. When the um, Titanic set sail, when the Titanic set sail on April the 10th, 1912, The uh, company that owned it had five different groups of people. So you could buy tickets, five different types. They had their uh, royalty and government ministers. There was uh, celebrities. There was millionaires. There was first class. And there was steerage. All those different groups of people. Well, when that ocean liner sank on uh, April the 15th, When that great ocean liner sank, the company published a list with only two sorts of people. Those known to be saved and those known to be lost. Well, in the same way, we sort of split the world up into all our different groups. All the different groups around us. But actually, we need to remember, there's only one sort of separation that matters. One separation that will be eternal. One difference. The sheep on the right, the goats on the left. Those who will be saved and those who will be lost. 
So eternal separation will take place. Jesus will judge everybody. And as we stand there in the dock, because that's us, everybody includes us. As we stand there in the dock, I guess we're going to want to know, well, how is this judgment going to be made? What's the basis of it? How is this separation going to be decided? That's what uh, we're told over the rest of the chapter. We're told how this judgment will take place. And there we're told... That what will make the difference between being on the right and being on the left? That Jesus will judge everybody, but it will be according to how they have treated him. It will be according to how they've treated him. That's clear um, as the first verdict is given. The first verdict is passed in 34 to verse 40. Um, There we meet the blessed, those who stand at the right-hand side of Jesus. See, Jesus welcomes them... Jesus welcomes them because they welcomed him. Have another look at verse 34 to 39 as that verdict is passed. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Jesus turns to those on his right. This is sort of my right. I know it's your left. It's my right. Jesus turns to those on his right and he welcomes them just as they welcome him. I guess that prompts the question, well, how? You know, how did they welcome him? How did they do all these things that he describes? And, and that's the question that the people on his right ask him. They ask, when was it in verse 40? Well, Jesus tells them an answer in verse 40 that, that might seem shocking. He tells them that how we respond to Christians is how we respond to Christ Jesus. Take a look at verse 40 with me. He says, truly, and the king answered them and said, truly I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. See, as they helped the sick and the needy, the imprisoned, the the naked, the thirsty, the hungry, as they helped those people, what mattered wasn't just, wasn't just that they were needy. What mattered was that they were Christians that they were serving Jesus as they were serving Christians. I think that becomes, that's given away when Jesus refers to them as the least and my brothers. You see, those are words that are used throughout Matthew's Gospel to talk about Christians, to talk about those who are following Jesus. Uh, It might help to um, flip back to, keep a finger in uh, Matthew 25 there, Um, but flip back to Matthew 10, it's on page 983. 983, uh, Matthew 10. I, I think this helps us understand about what Jesus is talking about here. So in verse 40, uh, we, get a, we, we get a very similar principle in verse 40. Whoever receives you, receives me. Jesus is sending out um, his disciples, sending out people to preach his message. And he says, whoever receives you, receives me. And then verse 42, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You see, Jesus there is saying that how we treat Christians 
is how we treat Christ. Let's flip back to um, Matthew 25. You see, how we will be judged by Jesus then depends on how we respond to Jesus now. We need to accept the message of Jesus and his disciples and then let that message shape our lives. See, Jesus will judge everyone according to how they've treated him. So can I ask us this morning, how are we treating Jesus? How are we treating his little ones, his brothers? How are we treating each other and the other Christians we know? Are are we just Sunday friends? Or do we care for each other over the course of the week? Um, Do we know who's missing today? And do we know maybe why? Do we know who might be ill? Who this week might be facing a stressful and a difficult time? Who might need food cooked for them? Or a phone call or a chat? Do we know what they need? And are we willing to serve them? It's so easy, isn't it, to um, sort of shrink church to fit us. To spend time with the people we like and the people we want to be like. And there's other people who might be a bit embarrassing or or who we might not get along with. It's so easy to um, take all the divisions that we have outside in the world and bring those into church. Well, Jesus here calls us to change all that, to remember that when we look around us and as we look at other Christians, we're to see the Lord Jesus. We're not to see the differences of background or culture or whatever it might be. We're to see Jesus. See, how we treat Christians is how we treat Christ. And that should make every act of service into a great honour and a great privilege. Because as we serve each other, we're serving our Creator, our our Saviour and our King. You see, as we're serving each other, it might be hard and it might be tiring. And you know, we might feel that it's thankless. But Jesus sees it. And Jesus delights in it. And Jesus will one day say, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of the world. To serve Jesus, our creator and saviour, to simply serve him is a greater privilege than any of us deserve. But have you seen how extravagant and generous his blessings are? We don't just get to serve the king. We get a share in the kingdom itself. You see, whatever hardships we may endure today, if we're those who welcome Jesus, who are serving Jesus, we can look forward, have a look at 46, we can look forward to that last beautiful phrase, being one of the righteous in eternal life. Jesus will judge everyone according to how they've treated him. And if we're a follower of Jesus today, then we can look forward to that moment with excitement and expectation. But as we close, we need to notice that that day will not be good news for everyone. That for some, that day will be a terrible day. We've looked at those on Jesus' right. Now let's finish by turning and looking at Jesus' left. Jesus turns to them and in the sad words of verse 41, he rejects those who reject him. Let's have a look at those in verse 41 and 42. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. 
I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. The judgment is terrible, but it's just. Jesus will reject those who reject him. And the consequences are terrible. Look again at verse 41. They're the cursed. They depart from Jesus and they enter into eternal fire. See, it's terrible. It is eternal, but it's just. If we seek to live without Jesus in this life, well, Jesus will simply hand us over to that in the eternal life. If we reject Jesus, he will reject us. And I think these verses challenge two mistakes that we often make as we think about the future and as we think about the judgment. See, often we either swing between thinking that um, uh, we get to heaven by our good works or that we get to heaven without our good works. So there's those who think that we get to heaven because of good works. So they think, it really doesn't matter what I believe, it just matters what I do. And it's the danger of seeing these verses as a sort of checklist to work our way through so we can present it to Jesus and say, there you go, I'd like to come in please. But these verses don't describe someone earning their way into heaven. And how could they? Have a look at, uh, just rewind a little bit and look at verse um, 34. Uh, People are, the people who enter heaven, well they're blessed by my Father. They're blessed by God. That's not their work, that's God's. And look, what they receive, they inherit the kingdom. They don't earn it. It's an inheritance, not a wage. And anyway, if they did earn it, well, Matthew's gospel would stop right there. Jesus wouldn't have to go to the cross. The night before he died, a few days after this, he pleads with his father and says, if there's any other way, let it be so. But there is no other way. We cannot earn our way to heaven. Jesus has to die for us. It matters what we believe. You see, if we don't accept the message of Jesus, if we don't accept the message of his disciples, then we're not accepting his disciples. And we're not accepting Jesus. It matters what we believe. But the other mistake people make is that we can get to heaven without good works. Uh, As if we could say, well, It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I do. It only matters what I believe. Well, these verses show that that's a nonsense. That we can't split apart what we believe and how we live. How we treat Christians is how we treat Jesus. These verses show us that what we believe must shape how we live. And that just makes sense, doesn't it, from the past few chapters of Matthew. Time and again, Jesus has been urging us, even in this one chapter, in chapter 25, I don't know if you remember the past few sermons, those, those, uh, the parable of the ten virgins, that urgency to be ready, and then the parable of the talents, the urgency to, uh, to be working. And here we're shown that one of the ways that we're to, be working, we're to be ready, and one of the ways we're to be working, well, the way we're to be doing that is to be serving Jesus as we serve each other. If we love Jesus, we're going to love other Christians. And we're going to be looking for ways to lovingly serve each other. It matters what we believe. And it matters how we live. Because how we live shows the truth of what we believe.
Jesus will judge everyone according to how they've treated him. So can I end by asking the question that we started with? Which side are we going to be on? That judgment isn't going to be based on the books we've read, the people we know, the jobs we've got, the reputation we have. Jesus will judge everyone according to how they've treated him. Today, this evening, we've encountered Jesus as he's spoken to us in his word. How will we respond? And today, we've encountered Jesus as we've met with other Christians. How will we respond? Jesus will judge everyone according to how they have treated him. That day will be wonderful for some, but it will be terrible for others. Which side will we be on? Let me close with a prayer. Father God, thank you that Jesus will one day judge. Thank you that you haven't left us in the dark. You haven't left us guessing about that future. Please, would what we believe shape how we live this week. Please give us opportunities to serve Jesus as we serve other Christians. For his glory we pray. Amen.